Nehemiah 1, 3 and 4 says, Nehemiah hearing what had happened to Jerusalem, he said, and they said to me, the survivors who are left of the captivity of the province in the province are in great distress and reproach. Notice this, the wall of Jerusalem is, are, are broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. Walls are broken down. Gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, notice, notice, notice how it gripped him. Notice this, look at me. Notice how the work of God gripped Nehemiah. It should grip us today that people are lost in our city. It should grip us that, you know, I saw those boys that robbed that Sonic and they had the picture of them there. You know, we should weep over these kinds of things. They should grip us with the walls of family broken down, walls of, of youthfulness, uh, drugs and, and, and perversion and all of these things broken down. And notice what he says when the walls are broken down and burned with fire. So when I heard these words, he said, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then he makes the trek from Susa all the way to Jerusalem. And he said, and then he gets there and he talks to the people like I'm talking to you today. And I'm, I'm talking to you today and I'm saying, let's build a church. Let's build a church. Are you looking at me? Let's build a church. Young adults, let's build a church. Let's don't build a, some dead church. Let's build a Holy Ghost church. Let's build a church where signs and wonders take place. Let's build a church where the power of the Holy Spirit is. Are you with me today? So he said to these leaders, you see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now look at me again. I'm preaching for I'm preaching. This is not, I'm on my time yet, so don't put my time on yet. Do you know that the way that we bring glory to God, it's an alive church that brings glory to God. When there's a prayer meeting and people show up for the prayer meeting and power's flowing and worship is exciting, that brings glory to God. But when all that's broken down, that doesn't bring glory to God. It brings reproach to him. They think our God's dead. And I'm telling you, our God's not dead. He's alive. He's alive in this place. He's alive in us. Come, let us build the wall. It may longer be a reproach. And I told them with the hand of God that had been good upon me and the king's word which he has spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Say that with me. Let us rise up and build. Are you ready to build a building? Come on, say it again. Let us rise up and build. Come on again. Let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to the work. Father, today I pray that your grace would be in our words. Give us the anointing that breaks every yoke. Give us a greater faith, a greater vision. Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. Bless this message today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, this is part two of, of the message of the gates. And I want to tell you there's, I'm going to have to hurry here because I don't have a lot of time, but we're talking in this series this, this month of, uh, oh, it's February, is it February today? What is it? It's February, okay, yeah, well, yeah. I do know it's 2020. And, and so, uh, but we're in this series starting this year, and we're saying, let's rise up and build. And I'm not saying that as a cliche. I'm saying God has anointed you to play a vital part of rising up and building. And we see how Nehemiah was so moved by this. You know, we need to be moved what's about what, uh, uh, what's important to God needs to be important to us. And God supernaturally orchestrates all the pieces of the puzzle, and he shows up, he shares his heart with them. And in, in Nehemiah 3, they're all chipping in and everyone's building. And, but what we see there in Nehemiah 3, it mentions 10 gates. 
Around the walls of Jerusalem, there were 10 gates. And I will just say this, I'm gonna say this very quickly by way of introduction. The Bible, and as you study the Bible, there's things called typology. In other words, what something is represents something spiritual. So think about this. If I built a wall out here next to this building, it would mean what? Zero, it would mean nothing. It's a wall, it's brick, it's mortar. But the walls of Jerusalem and the gates have a spiritual meaning. In other words, the Jewish people are a prophetic people. And God's used them to speak to the world and to give the world the word of God. Now what we do know is this. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said, no longer shall violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. Now notice this. Notice the wall of Jerusalem and its gate have a typical meaning, have a message. Notice it says, but you will call your wall salvation and you will call your gates praise. And what we see in Jerusalem among the people, the walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, ministry's broken down, the relationship with God is broken down, and I won't go back in to all of that. But what I want you to see is this today. We want to see Jesus, number one, but I want to tell you this. Jesus is the mender of broken lives. He can mend broken lives. In fact, that's what he does best. That's why he came. He came to seek and save. The word save is sozo, and it includes spiritual salvation, reconciliation with God. Sozo also is used at times for healing or deliverance. Jesus can save you. He can save me from everything that binds us. Most of all, he can forgive our sins, of course. But he, he comes to mend our lives. He comes to build the lives. He can mend the brokenness. That's what he does. And that's what he wants to do. And some of you here say, well, pastor, in your mind, if you, if you knew what, how long I've been this way, if you knew how bad my marriage has been, you, if you knew how I'm on these drugs or you knew this alcohol, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. A man one day came to Jesus who had leprosy which in that day was a death sentence. They were separated and ostracized from society, and they couldn't even come close proximity to someone. And if they did under Jewish law, they had to cry, unclean, unclean. And a man came to Jesus, fell down, and said, if you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he touched him, and immediately it says the leprosy left. That man could have gone to a thousand counseling sessions and nothing would have happened. But I'm telling you, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. One time a blind man sitting on the side of the road and he said, what's happening here? And he said, I hear a crowd. His senses, you know, they say that blind people, their other senses are honed and sharpened and he hears the shuffle of the crowd and the hustle of the crowd and they said, this Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and listen, he had heard what Jesus had been doing all over Israel. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the, the sick are being healed, the demons are being cast out and something rose up in his heart and he started crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And today you may wonder, if I lift up my voice, will anybody hear me? He can hear your silent cry today. You hear that? He can hear your silent cry. Sometimes we suffer in silence, but it's not silent to God. He hears our sighs today. He hears our burdens today. And that blind man said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. He touched his eyes and he saw, oh, praise God. 
Jesus can, Jesus can fulfill our dreams. He can give us his blessing. He can turn the situation around. We may spiritually typically be sitting on the side of the road like a blind man, not going forward or backwards, just there. But Jesus, if you'll call on him, he'll step in today. He'll step in today. Amen. I want, I want, to just, I want you to see this. Jesus is the answer today. You know, I don't need a manual today. I mean, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about we don't need the word of God. But, you know, sometimes you get these, you get these things and you open them up and you, and you try to go through the manual. And it's so confusing. And you thought, I wish I could just talk to the guy who made it. He could tell me how to do it. But I want you to know you can talk to the one who created you. He can show you how to live life. He can, he's the one who wrote the manual. He can interpret it to you and tell you how to live the abundant life. Amen? He can do it, church. He can do it. But he's the answer to all things concerning God. The name of Jesus is the only name that heaven is impressed with. It's the only name that will move heaven and earth to get our needs met. Now, I want you to notice this. Now, we're going to look at these gates a little more. I don't have a lot of time, so just bear with me here. The gates, there's 10 gates. And I believe that they are typical of Jesus Christ. I believe they represent all the way from his first coming to his second coming in a typical fashion. And many, many ministers have seen this, and I see it there also. Notice Jesus said in John 10, look at the screen, John 10, 9. I am the door. I am the door. I'm the gate. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Now notice verse 10. The thief, that's another name for the devil. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Now notice with me here. It's Satan who comes to destroy. He comes to break our lives. God didn't do that to you. Listen to me. I want you to see this. He wants to destroy Satan, that is. He wants to destroy the good that is in your life. Look at the good in your life. Good marriage, good kids, blessing, health, etc. I can tell you this. Satan is eyeing that today, even today. He's eyeing that. Why? He's a destroyer. He's not a blesser. He is a destroyer. He's eyeing, listen, he's eyeing your physical health. He's eyeing your mental health. He's eyeing your children. He's eyeing your marriage. He's eyeing your money. He's eyeing this church today. He would do anything he can to destroy this church, but he cannot because, listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He will not do it. In the name of Jesus, this church will be built, and it will do great things for God. But Satan is a destroyer. But notice this. Jesus is the answer to all things pertaining to God. Jesus is the answer to everything. No one gets anything from God the Father except through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way God works. The Father, through the Son, by the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. Notice this. Jesus said, I'm the gate. Everyone say the gate. The, gate. the door, the gate. He's the gate into which we enter and find abundant life. Isn't he wonderful today? Think about it today. Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ through the gate. Think about this today. Freedom today is found in Jesus Christ. I've shared testimonies of some bondage I had when I was a teenager, completely set free. Some of you in this room have a testimony of how Jesus 
has set you free. Freedom found. Blessing is found in Jesus Christ. All comes through Jesus Christ. But notice what he says here. We've got to enter the gate. He said it in verse 10. I'm the door. If anyone, if anyone enters by me, if anyone enters the gate. Notice that. You've got to enter the gate. We can't just talk about the gate, sing about the gate. We've got to enter the gate. We've got to enter a relationship with God. We've got to call upon the Lord. How do we do that? We do that by faith. We do that by trusting God. Trusting God. Faith brings miracles into our lives. Faith brings salvation. Faith brings healing. Faith brings peace. Faith brings direction. Faith brings all the great things God wants to do because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible. Didn't God say impossible? Without faith, it's impossible. Unbelief never got you anywhere. Unbelief never built any gates or walls. Unbelief never healed anyone. Trust God. You say, well, I feel. I meet people, they're always feeling something. Well, I eat a hot dog and feel something. It's not always good. I've eaten pizza and had crazy dreams. You may feel a lot of things. That's irrelevant to me. You know why? Feelings come and feelings go, but the word of God never changes. What does the word of God say? That's what we need to be concerned about today. Without faith, it says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Here's what Jesus said, John 14. Whoever and whatever you ask in my name. Isn't that a broad statement? Whatever you ask in my name. We know it's predicated on his purpose, his plan, his will, but oh, isn't it broad? All the trees of the garden you can partake of. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'm telling you, in his name, there's blessing. Everything is through Jesus Christ. Now, we looked at these gates. Now, we looked at some of the gates last week. We looked at the sheep gate, which I see as representing the sacrificial death of Jesus, the Lamb of God. The cross, of course, being the most sacred event known to humanity as the angels had to look away, as the, as the heavens were darkened, as Jesus died for our sin. What a sacred moment it is. May we never lose the cross. May we never lose preaching about the cross and singing about the cross and rejoicing in the cross because it's by the blessed cross that Satan was completely and utterly defeated forever. It's the cross that brings us victory. And I want to echo what Paul said. I glory and save nothing but the cross. I glory in the cross. I can't help you today. This church can't help you today. In fact, no church can help you today. But I know one whose name is Jesus. He can help you today. We looked at the fish gate, which represents, I believe, the hope of the gospel. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Go preach the gospel. Go fish for men. For church, we have to fish for men. Hear my heart today. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to bring people. People are dying. They're lost. They need you to tell them about his love. They need you to fill this church up with people so that pastor can preach to them and tell them that God has a place for them at the table if they'll be saved and they'll come to Jesus. He'll wash all their sins away. He'll he'll show them what their real meaning is. Go fish for men. The gospel is the power. Now listen to me. This gospel is powerful. Why would the church stoop to using any other means but the gospel? It's just astounding to me. Many years ago, there was a missionary couple that left Sweden. You gotta hear this. I was gonna go on, but I wanna share this. This is important. 
There was a missionary couple that left Sweden. I think the church was called Philadelphia Church, the church of the open door. They must have been a missionary church. And David and the lady, the wife's name was S-V-E-A, Svia. David and Svia Flood. And they went with another missionary couple to Africa. But things did not go well. And they tried to minister there, and they found that the African tribe that they were ministered to were very close to the gospel. No one was getting saved. In fact, in their entire ministry there, no one ever got saved. They were so close to the gospel. Now, we would look at that and say, failure. But let me tell you, God's ways are higher than your ways. Whatever we do genuinely when God calls us to do something, no matter how small it is, no matter how insignificant it is, no matter what part of the chain that we're a part of, if we do it for the Lord, it will be worth it, it'll be fruitful in his time, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this missionary couple, David and Sphia Flood, ministered there with this other couple, very close to the gospel, but there was a little boy from the tribe that would come and bring milk to their back porch, fresh milk every morning to buy. And Svia said, the tribe, I can't, we can't win anyone to Christ in the tribe, but I can at least tell this little boy about Jesus. And so every morning she would tell this little boy about Jesus. Son, do you know Jesus loves you? You know, God has a plan for your life. If you'll call, on, if you'll call upon him, he will save you. He'll write your name down in the last book of life. And so every morning that she was there, she would share Jesus. The, the adult tribe was closed, but she shared the love of Jesus with this little boy. As time went along, Svia became pregnant with a little daughter named Aina. Aina? 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 Had a little daughter named Aina. Later called her Aggie. Listen to me, true story. Not long after that, Sphia dies. Her husband David became so bitter at God, took his new daughter, gave it to the other missionary couple, went back to Sweden, he was so bitter, and for almost five decades, he said, I don't want to hear about God. Aggie was given to this other missionary couple who were poisoned by the tribe not long later, not very much later. Those two were poisoned and they died. They took little Aggie and another couple, another missionary couple took her. That couple moved back to America. They, were from, they, went, they moved to South Dakota where Aggie grew up. She attended high school. And then she met a man by the name of Hurst, Dewey Hurst. Dewey later became Dr. Dewey Hurst, and he became the president of, of uh, Northeastern North something Bible college. It was one of our Assemblies of God Bible colleges. And years later, Dr. Hurst and Aggie were in Europe 
at a Pentecostal conference. Thousands of people were there. And she heard from the pulpit that there was, there was a group and they were from this area where she had been born in Africa. So she was, so when she heard that, after the service over, she went over to talk to the group and she said, do you know where this town is? And they said, yes, we're from that town. She said, I was born there. She said this, my mom and dad were missionaries there and my mother died. And the leader, the leader of that group, a black pastor said this, when I was a little boy, I used to go to the back porch of the missionary's house and the lady would tell me about Jesus. And because that lady told me about Jesus, I gave my heart to the Lord and I began to witness and minister to my tribe and now there's multitudes that are saved. Aggie said, that was my mother. This black man, this black pastor said this. She said, he said, just last week, I took flowers to your mother's grave. And I said, Lord, thank you that this woman gave her life so that we could know Jesus Christ as our Savior. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Don't you think we need to build the fish gate? Don't you think we need to tell people about Jesus? I can tell you in my own life, it's amazing how the, the, our lives hinge on moments. Isn't it amazing how our lives hinge on moments? I really, and I say this, I shudder today to think where I would be if I had not received Jesus Christ as my Savior. As a teenager, my life was completely out of control. But you know what? Jesus was the answer. I was like those kids in that disco. Empty, empty, empty. That described my life. I was an empty human being. But... 20 seconds, a 20-second conversation at a locker with a young lady named Renee who invited me to church, and that was it. She didn't give me a three-point sermon. She didn't tell me about the Godhead, didn't know about the Trinity, none of the doctors. She just invited me. She had the fish gate built. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And I went to that church and I received Christ into my life. My sins were washed away. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I was called to ministry. Thank God. Thank God for the fish gate. Jesus said, I called you to be fishers of men. But, but not, that's not just, listen, that's not just for the original apostles. Amen? The church is evangelistic. You may not be an evangelist, but we're called to be evangelistic. Listen, and no one in the church, hear this, no one in the church is exempt from sharing their faith. Oh, that's your job, pastor. Don't kid yourself. You don't hire me to, to, to do your job. Everyone needs to share the love of Jesus. Hear this, everyone has a story. You have a story. You may not think you have a story. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Invite them to church. Let's fill this church up. Come on. Let's fill this church up because people need the Lord. We talked about the old gate. Let me, let me skip down. I'm skipping some. Don't mess with me. This is my sermon. I can do what I want to with it. <laughs> I want to I wanna close this service with the fountain gate. There's 10 gates. They're all typical. 
wonder if I've read some great stuff on this. Great scholars have talked about this. Let's talk about the fountain gate. In verse 12 through 25, they built the fountain gate. Jesus is the great anointed Messiah. Amen? He's the anointed Messiah. And he's the one that gives the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He is the great baptizer in the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded, just in my mind's eye, as we stood, as we stood, as we stood, some of us here stood by the Jordan River. Some of us were baptized in the Jordan River. And it was there by that Jordan River, somewhere on that river, some 2,000 years ago, that John had been preaching. Multitudes came. The Bible said all men went out to John. People were coming by multitudes. And wasn't John a strange kind of character? He wore camel's hair, leather belt, and oh, his diet, locust and wild honey. But listen to me, fearless, absolutely fearless. Don't we need some fearless men in our world? We feminized, there's the feminization of men in our culture today. Do you know the major characteristic of a man of the Bible is courage? Even Paul said, quiet yourself like men, be courageous. And here's John, so strong, so courageous, preaching baptizing as the Lord told him to do. And one day Jesus comes. One day Jesus comes. Listen to me. He stands there. And he comes to be baptized by John. And John knew that Jesus was different. God has shown him. He said, in a sense, you're, you're a better man than I am. You're more righteous than me. And you're coming, you want me to baptize you? No, 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 no. I want you to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Suffer it to be so for now that we may fulfill all righteousness. Now Luke tells us something that, the, that Matthew doesn't. Jesus was standing there praying. Praying. You may say, Pastor, I want to be like Jesus. Well, why don't you have a prayer life? You're not like Jesus if you don't pray. You're nothing like him if you don't pray. Let me tell you this. Everything you need to know about a person is found in their prayer life. You, you know what a person's prayer life is like. That's how they really are. Here's Jesus, and he's standing there, and he's praying. And he goes down in the water, and as he goes down in that chilly Jordan, and it's, by the way, it's chilly. It's cold most of the time. Come on, some of you that were there, you know it's chilly. We were there in February one time. I don't know how it relates to our seasons, but I just know it was very cold. And I was in there at the first trip we went. I was helping baptize folks. You say, did you enjoy it? I was freezing. No, I didn't enjoy it. What are you talking about? I enjoyed it in a sense, but man, my teeth started chattering and I'm like, I'm dying in here. My toes are numb. But as Jesus went down into the water and came back up, something supernatural took place. A dove, a vision, and John sees a, uh, the Holy Spirit come down like a dove, and it lighted upon Jesus, and then there was a voice, this is my beloved son, 
whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God coming on Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the anointed Messiah. Everything Jesus did, he did by the Holy Spirit. He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. A man, a man, truly a man, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But think about this. This fountain gate speaks of Jesus as the great baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Do you know the greatest need in the church of Jesus Christ today is a fresh Pentecost? It is the number one greatest need in the church of Jesus Christ today. I tell you again, it's the number one greatest need today is that every believer be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fire come down again so that we can go out and share the message of Jesus effectively in a lost world. That's why he fills us. That's why he anoints us. Notice what John says. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, Jesus, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm gonna close, and this has been a little bit disjointed, but that's all right. The Holy Spirit has moved incredibly In, in the last hundred or so years, a little over a hundred years, last century, the Holy Spirit began to be poured out in amazing ways. It started in Wells during the, if you've read about the Welsh revival, God poured out his spirit on Evan Roberts. And it started, by, by the way, it started in a prayer meeting. It started, people began to pray. Thousands Tens of thousands of people were saved in wells. Bars were shut down because so many people were just getting saved. They weren't going to the bars anymore. People stopped cursing to where that the, 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 the animals, the donkeys and the horses that they, they used to take down in those, those uh, caverns to get the coal out, they, they, they were so used to hearing curse words the animals didn't even know what to do. They were so full of cursing before, and Jesus cleaned up people's hearts, so their, mind, their mouths got cleaned up, and God moved in an incredible way. And that revival spirit swept across the Atlantic, and it swept, it began really in our country in a place called Azusa Street. Azusa Street. You need to read about Azusa Street. Do you realize today this thing has, listen to me, this hasn't been done in a corner do you realize today they, today they estimate there's 600 million spirit-filled believers in our world today? 600 million people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. And you're looking at a Catholic boy knew nothing hardly about anything really except church. But you can go to church and go to hell. Knew nothing about this. And God filled me the same way he filled them in the Bible. It's real. It's real. Come on, it's real. Are you hearing me? Church, do you believe it's real? You still believe it's real in 2020, February? Come on. It's real. 600 million people have experienced this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I have to tell you an amazing story. There was a businessman, and his name was Ludwig Groff. Ludwig Groff. Ludwig Groff was a German-American. Ludwig Groff made a fortune, very wealthy, but he, 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 his area of the country where he came from used to be Prussia, 
bumped up against Russia. But he, but he, he grew up in Prussia, came to America, made a fortune. He went to, a, Louis Groff went to Azusa Street and was filled with the mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. God so gloriously touched his life. Sometime later, he went back to Prussia. The year was 1922. He goes back to Prussia. He's driving a Mercedes Benz out in these rural areas. He's, he's, he's looking for a certain town, but he got lost. How many of you know you may be, think you're lost and God may just be guiding you? So he drives out and he, 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 he drives up to this little bitty town, Truen. He didn't even know where he was. Truen was the name of the little town. He stops there at a little, a little baker place and, and, and a, a guy comes to the, to the front door that was open and he had this, uh, you know, the flower on him and he, he wipes his hands and, and he says, hi, sir. He said, I'm Ludwig Groff and I'm a servant of the Lord. And he said, his response was, we're Lutheran. And he said, well, I was baptized Lutheran but I got saved since then. And he said, uh, he began to talk to him about preaching the gospel there. He said, I think I'm lost. He said, where am I? He said, I'm looking for this certain town. He said, well, no, you're not there. You're in Truen. And he said, and the, and the Holy Spirit began to, to deal with him. And there was a boy on a bicycle that was there. Listen to this. And he could sense that, that there was resistance in this man. He said, he tried to share the gospel with him, and, and he sensed that there was resistance there. And so finally, Louis Groff said these words. He said, sir, is there anyone sick in this place? And the, the, the baker smirked, he said, and, and he, thought, he told him later, I thought, I'm gonna get rid of this guy. He said, yeah, there's someone sick. He said, the owner of this business he said, if you'll listen, you can probably hear him. There was a windmill above the thing, and he, could, he started listening. He could hear someone in the distance groaning. And he said, he said, sir, he said to the baker, if the Lord heals this man, will you allow me to preach the gospel here? And he said, sure. He, the baker told the boy, he said, boy, go home and tell your dad that this man is coming to pray for him. And, the, and, the, and Louis Groff said, you tell him I'm coming to pray for him and the Lord is about to heal him. 1922. He drives down to the house in his fancy car and he goes in and he begins to pray for this man. His name was, was Augustus or August. He prayed for him, and he hadn't prayed but a few minutes, and the mighty power of God came down in that room and completely healed that man of all his arthritis, gout, whatever he had, completely, instantly healed by the mighty power of Jesus Christ, completely healed that man. His wife is sitting there, and she's literally in tears. As the tears are flowing down, as she knows the suffering that her husband has been through. And here is this man standing here, completely healed, 
completely dumbfounded of what God has done in his life. That man's name was Augustus Bonke, the grandfather of the evangelist who died this past December. It was Reinhardt, evangelist Reinhardt Bonke. That was his grandfather. The boy who was on the bike was his dad, who later became a Pentecostal minister. It was 22 years before Reinhardt was born. He, that's how God showed up in their family. And let me tell you this. He said he had studied his family tree, and before that time, there was none of this in his family. There was none. They, were, they weren't good. But then, from that moment, how many know the blood of Jesus makes all the difference? Reinhard Bonnke passed away in December. Literally, if you go on the line and you see the literally preaching to hundreds of thousands and even up to a million people at one time, literally multitudes and multitudes are being said. Now, let me, let me tell you this. Louis Groff received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street. He had the power of God in his life. And that power transformed a whole family because it's not him, it's the power of of Jesus Christ. Later, in their little church, when Reinhard Wonke was like eight years old, a lady in their little bitty, there was a little small Pentecostal church, and a lady in that prayer meeting, in that service, said this. She prophesied, and she said these words. I've just seen a vision And I see someone passing out bread to the continent of Africa. And she pointed across the room and she said, and that little boy is the one I saw in the vision. And that man did amazing works in the continent of Africa. And by the way, He's the one in South Africa that stood in the gospel of the, the discotheque and proclaimed Christ and a whole church was birthed in five minutes. We need the presence of God. I want you to stand. Our musicians are coming. I think that, that we need to conclude this service with everyone that will, please, around these altars for prayer that for us to do what we need to do, we need the presence of God. Do you believe this today? Am I talking to people who really believe what the word of God says today? We are going to gather around this altar and we're going to pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want you to join me. Would you please? Would you please join me? Everyone that will. I know that some physically can't come. I've got that. No problem. No problem. You may want to come and sit on the front or sit where you are there. I want everyone that will to come, please. Come, please. And our prayer today is this. If you're not saved today, we're gonna, we would love to pray with you to be saved. But today we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you this. You're way too timid today. You're way too somber today. You need to be bold in your prayers. God wants to do something. 
They're going to begin to sing. Our prayer today is, Father Trinity Life Church, we need a fresh Pentecost. We need every one of us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. We need the fire of God. We need the power of God. We need the Lord to anoint us so that we can reach out into the darkness and bring the light of Jesus there. I want you to begin to pray. Just pray as the Lord leads you today. Pray and call out to the Lord and ask the Lord to pour out his spirit upon this church. We desperately need it because the world desperately needs the gospel. Would you begin to pray right now? Jesus.